Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got the red-eyed unemployed workers' desperation blues. Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Valerie Fafala and you're with Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a monthly program held on the second Friday of each month at 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am, digital podcast and streaming live on 3cr.org.au and available online tomorrow. This is part of the sewer program. My guests today are a cultural sociologist, Dr Sarah James, a guest panellist on a special La Trobe University conference, Smashed Arvo, Is There a War on Youth?, coming up on 23rd of August, Activist Amanda Smith from the Say No 7, who opposed the cashless welfare card. Jeremy Poxon. Good day, Jeremy. Good day, Valerie. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Media Officer with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And later, Hayden Patterson, South Australian Coordinator of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. So today we welcome in Jeremy, and you've just been down to Werribee. So tell us about what happened down there, Jeremy. Yeah, well, I didn't go down there, but I managed to... Um, I was talking to a few job seekers um, on the phones, and I'm sure a few of the listeners have probably seen in the media um, that, um, you know, if you live out at Werribee in Sunshine um, and you access one of the settlements there, you might have seen uh, cops, police officers... Um, out the front and, and patrolling through the Centrelinks. If you lived out at Werribee, you might might see that there's been uh, police officers um, in the shopping centre and wondering what they're doing there. Good heavens. Well, that? what they're doing there, it's, it's part of um, our, our federal government's uh, big, you know, so-called crackdown on, you know, scare quotes, wel- welfare fraud. So uh, Minister, Human, Minister for Human Services, Michael Keenan, um, has been out in the media. He's identified Werribee specifically as one of the uh, worst, quote-unquote, dulled bludger suburbs um, in the country. Um, so um, what he's done to this community, which, by the way, has an unemployment rate that's almost twice as high as the national average, he's decided to send the cops down um, to stamp out what he thinks um, is basically, you know, a pack of some of the most vulnerable, <laughs> low-income people in our community, community uh, defrauding and taking money from... Um, the public purse. So that's what's going on down in Werribee. And I was speaking to a few job seekers um, this week who 
as you can imagine, are furious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they sort of t- you know tell me what it's like to be a job seeker at Werribee, where you know it's sort of a traditional manufacturing sort of area. There's not that many jobs out there. Um, one woman just yesterday was sort of telling me that she just sends resume after resume after resume mm-hmm. um, without getting any responses. Um, she tells me there is one big booming industry out at Werribee. It's the job services industry. Oh, um, right. Apparently, it's making a real a real killing. Um, so. You yeah, uh, you know, this is a, a, a fantastic way for the government to essentially, you know, stigmatize what is already a highly stigmatized community, um, us job seekers, um, and also just create so much um, hostility and suspicion throughout the community because they're literally. The police are literally setting up shop at the shopping centre to try and get tip-offs, basically to try and get community members to dob in their families, um, their friends, anyone who they think might be suspected of welfare fraud, who, according to Minister Keenan, is any of us who, you know, claim welfare. So um, that's what's that's kind of this week's um, huge alarming <laughs> penalisation of poverty. Now, you said Channel 9 covered it and they were fairly reasonable as... Uh, Normally, the Murdoch press isn't. They really stigmatise and demonise job seekers. Um, but you said that they they seem to be a, doing a fairer job. Yeah, so I got a call from a current affair um, earlier in the week, and that's always you know, a cause for alarm. Oh God, what are they? What have they got now? But um, speaking to them, and and I encourage you all to actually. This might be the first time I ever encourage anybody to tune into a current affair. But um, they've they've interviewed a bunch of Werribee job seekers and gotten their um, you know criticism. Um, and gotten them to to defend themselves really against um, this ludicrous attack from the government. So they're taking a really um, surprising but great um, interest, and they're actually aligning themselves with us, um, uh, the unemployed workers, um, for once. So um, you know they had a they've they've interviewed Minister Keenan, our human or inhuman services minister, um, who you know went on the record as saying that the vast majority um, of Werribee job seekers are doing the right thing. And then in the next breath, um, he somehow justified uh, sending... Uh, sending you know the police um, down there to um, you know create you know a stigma around the community. So there's a bit of cognitive dissonance going on with the minister by saying that most people are doing the right thing and then um, bringing the bringing the police force down and this special crackdown. So it doesn't quite make uh, much sense to square the two. But there you go. And certainly stigmatising. And in fact, you you wrote an article last month um, on the demerit system that's been introduced, which is a very harsh punitive system whereby the private job agencies now have the control without oversight um, so that the job seekers who go along to the private agencies Mm. really can't appeal decisions like they could before. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I feel like this, you know, what's happening this week in Werribee and this new demerit point punishment system, it is all part of, um, you know, a a long-term government project really to, um, you know, penalise and and criminalise the poor. You know, we've heard a lot about the, uh, you know, uh, the the drug testing um, for welfare recipients as well. Um, But the demerit points in particularly... Um, yes, that's even just the very language that um, we're treating people who 
um, say, miss an appointment, um, can't attend a work for the dole activity for legitimate reasons. Um, we're treating them like a demerit point punishment, like something that needs to be punished, like, say, running a red light um, or something like that. So the real language around the system, um, and it's a new one, so we're just we're only just starting to get um, reports of people who are um, who are getting these punishments. But yeah, it's really um, the demerit point system putting literal police at front of Centrelinks. It's, you know, um, uh, you know, it's punitive policies and, yeah. and social welfare. I don't know when, you know, where one ends and the next begins. It's all, it's all one of the same to apply for welfare and to, um, you know, to, to go into your, into your job agency. You're and just opening yourself welfare. up. It's actually a social security entitlement. Well, it should be, and it was <laughs> once upon a time, and hopefully will be um, again soon, but but not anymore. And talking to Werribee job seekers, you know, this this woman I was talking to yesterday particularly was um, describing very articulately articulately this feeling of walking into. Um, walking into a job agency and she was sort of um, describing it like um, walking into like your principal's office after you've gotten in trouble, like that kind of thing. This isn't um, a safe, supportive, nurturing environment for unemployed people to go in, um, which we know most of them want to do, to get work and to engage yeah. um, with the system. This is a place where people dread going to, people are scared of going to, uh, because people know that if they go there and, and do anything that um, you know, their job provider doesn't like, they can get a whole series of, of punishments. So I was um, at a, meet, a branch meeting of the AUW earlier today and there were a variety of, of comments about uh, different experiences. Some people were told they could come in once a month and others were told they needed to come in um, three days a week. Mm. These are particularly ones who had part-time work, believe it or not. Right. And so then they had to say, well, no, I can't come in three times a week. Well, those people are more likely to be breached now. So instead of them trying to help people find jobs, it's almost like they're the, the PPOs on the trams. The, <laughs> Absolutely. The punitive officers who are just like the police, in a sense, telling you what, um, what you've done wrong and you're, you better not do that or you won't get your 268 new start. Yeah, so that's that's the other side of it. Hey, like while they're be- being given uh, more powers and more independence um, to to punish uh, job seekers as they as they see fit, um, you know that works hand in hand with this um, with these new compliance measures that just get brought in every year, where job seekers have to attend more appointments um, to keep their measly new start allowance. Um, they have to perform more activities like work for the doll. They have to they have to apply for more jobs. So it's really like ramping up all those compliance demands and ramping up all the punishments and those two coming together and really just squeezing uh, job seekers and putting them under, I think, more um, stress and agony than, you know, in, in any time in, in recent memory. And up to now, of course, Centrelink had been able to overturn any job agency penalties. And I I think that was 50% were overturned yep. in the past. But now unemployed workers will lose significant powers of appeal and they'd have to passively accept many of the decisions ordered against them. And this is why we all need to stand up and fight. It's very hard, though, isn't it, when people have such lack of security in terms of homelessness mm-hmm. and uh, paying rent, which they can't afford. We hear about these stories all the time where people are having to go to, to the bins at the back of supermarkets just to get enough to eat. Yep. 
And there was a, there was a story on the um, ABC a few weeks ago, and they interviewed um, a, a, someone on Newstart, someone on Newstart who was also working casually but was underemployed, um, and she was having to resort to um, dumpster diving mm. uh, to get some food. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's that stat you just sort of ran over, I think. You know, we should empathize, empathize, like emphasize, sorry to spit that out, that <laughs> literally 50% of job agency punishment punishments, the decisions they make to punish job seekers were found to be unfair um, by Centrelink. I think that data is from, about, uh, from a 2016 report. So the government knows this, that 50% of the time job agency punishments are, are unfair. Yet um, this year, last month, they decide to take away Centrelink's power to overturn any of these decisions to give job agencies, um, you know, full power to punish, which is, um, which is so alarming. And, you know, these stories we receive um, are bountiful, but I just imagine that so many job seekers right now are suffering this treatment, getting punished, getting bullied, getting forced to do things they don't want to do, and too scared to tell us or anyone about it because you can't really, if you're under such constant threat, um, of punishment and, and benefit withdrawal. You're not going to go to the media. You're not going to tell your union, which is AEW, which is us, um, about it if you're that sort of intimidated and scared. So I just really worry. You know, the stories were already getting a bad, but I just imagine there's just this huge dearth of, of people um, just having to suffer in silence as well because they have literally, as you said, no power um, to appeal so many of these decisions made against them. And this is where um, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union can help any listeners. And um, you can get to us on unemployedworkersunion.com or you can phone us. We have a hotline, uh, 03-839-45266 during the week. We have some advocacy workers who can help you in that way because it's getting very tough for job seekers. And, of course, we know the government just wants to get as many people as possible off Centrelink to cut back its... Uh, Social security. Yeah, payments. that's um, you know when, when when I did research for that article, you were just reading um, snippets from. I, f- I found um, the government's modelling for what they think the new demerit point system specifically uh, will do for welfare roles, and they're very open and and proud um, of these predictions. But by the end of this year, they predict that the demerit point system will remove eighty thousand Australians. Um, from new starts, so there was no. It's deliberate, mo- isn't it? It is absolutely deliberate. It's deliberate cost-saving austerity measure to you know unburden the budget. Um, there's no talk about where these eighty thousand people are going to be. I think there's this sort of cocksure, optimistic assumption that they're going to end up in in jobs, which the government likes to to boast about it. But you know, given the recent spikes in homelessness, underemployment, people going for one job. Yeah, those we, Look, we 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 know otherwise. I'm talking to Jeremy Poxon, who's the media officer for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, and um, soon we'll be Jeremy will be staying here too and getting involved because we're going to be talking to cultural sociologist Dr. Sarah James. So in the meantime, given that New Start's forty dollars a day, <laughs> and we've got a terrific song from the Anti Poverty Network. It's time for a ah, fantastic song. To new t- I've been so, singing it in the shower. Isn't it great? Yeah. So we'll put that on in the meantime while we get Sarah. Changing 
not deck cherry arranging. It's time to begin. Yes, it's time. Time for proving, not slick maneuvering. It's time to hear. Yes, it's time. Time for poor folk, not for rich folk. It's time for us folk. Yes, it's time. Time for children. Yes, well, that's a wonderful song. It's time for New Start. We've got us, um, Jeremy and I, so excited about it. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Sarah James to our show. You there, Sarah? Hi, Valerie. Thanks for having me. This is Dr. Sarah James, and she's going to be, she's a cultural sociologist, a guest panellist on a special La Trobe University conference, Smashed Arvo, Is There a War on Youth? That's coming up on the 23rd of August. And uh, I was very interested in, in that, and in particular because the first sentence um, of the press release from La Trobe read, do baby boomers understand the current challenging challenges facing millennials or are they too busy spending their inheritance to care? I thought that was quite a judgmental intro and it certainly wasn't written by you, was it? No, it certainly wasn't written by me and um, you know that actually although there are a lot of problems that millennials face that boomers don't realise. The reverse is also the case and there's the perception of boomers in the media is always, you know, skewed towards the wealthy boomers. But we know that um, many boomers are not able to afford to retire. Um, Post the GFC, some surveys were saying that about 40% of women and 30% of male boomers had to postpone their retirement plans. Um, Most of them have their grown-up kids living at home. As well, yes, yes, indeed, and because um, they can't afford to rent. Mm. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. So the um, the issue of um, helping care for grandchildren, and then perhaps also at the same time, as you say, putting up your own kids, perhaps caring also for your elderly parents. Um, sociologists have been calling the boomer generation the sandwich generation because they're sort of in the middle of all these care responsibilities, which, of course, you know, the media don't pay much attention to. Mm. Also, I'm just I'm going to get on to the youth, but um, just for the moment, I also wanted to um, mention that um, many boomers um, can't get work and so they are on Newstart, which maybe some mm. people forget. So that's a bit yes. of a struggle too, you know. Yes, yes. I've also um, seen research showing that there's increased rates of first-time homelessness amongst those over 50. And so poverty amongst older people, I think, you know, does does get sort of perhaps less attention um, than 
than youth poverty, which of course is also a serious problem. Oh, but definitely, I yes. think you're right. Mm, um, mm. One of the things um, that the Australian Unemployed Workers Union has found is that it's um, unemployment affects people from all ages and all different groups, and it's it's very serious indeed. Um, but your focus in this um, conference, on this panel, mm-hmm. can you tell us about that? What are you uh, going to be talking about? So the focus is on the war on youth, that's what it's been called. Yeah. And the, the first bit of the title, Smashed Abbo, is kind of um, a comment on some of the things that came out, especially last year, saying that kind of blaming millennials for not being able to get good jobs, um, wasting their money on brunch and coffee, having to live at home with their parents and just sort of refusing to grow up and settle down and not taking responsibility. I don't know what the other panellists will be saying, but I'll be arguing that what gets missed in this is all the significant structural factors that have really changed the world of work from, I mean, if we're comparing boomers to millennials, then say from um, them entering the workforce in the 70s to um, young people today entering the workforce. Um, So, you know, things like more and more jobs now require a degree. Mm -hmm. And so in 1976, there were only 5% of 18 to 34-year-olds who had a bachelor's degree or higher. And now we're up around 40%. And of course, the longer you're in uni, um, it's hard for students to support themselves at the same time. Most students work now. They find it very difficult to live independently. And saving a house deposit during this time is next to impossible for many. Um, so these calls to, you know, if you just stopped eating your $20 smashed avocado, you'd be fine. These sort of comments, I think, are, you know, a real misunderstanding of, of some of the challenges that young people face. It's um, just the same stigmatising, defiling comments that the media is pushing around. And Jeremy's our media officer at the Unemployed Workers' Union, and he's here today. He's written on this, haven't you, Jeremy? Yeah, and it's, um, you know, I just corroborate, um, you know, these mm. these uh, real structural, systemic um, problems are, are mm. treated as, um, you know, deficiencies of individual will or character, like as, as, as you were saying, if, you know, you know, if I wake up and eat less smashed avo or if I'm really, really determined, and that's sort of across the board. It's It's the same rhetoric, um, that's the same sort of cultural rhetoric you hear um, as a young or any age job seeker. I think um, walking mm. into a job agency, um, you're you're sort of told that you know the only thing holding you back from um, security, full time employment, um, a decent home, etc., um, is your own lack of skill, lack of motivation, lack, lack, lack. Um, but really, mm. what's what's not talked about very well. Um, you know, I guess in mainstream media, which is why this conference is going to be great and people should pay attention, is um, no, it's not a failure of individual behaviour of millennials or any other age group. Um, there's a real failure of our economy and our and our leaders to provide uh, meaningful opportunities and a, and a secure living for a vast number, a growing number of, of, of people, both young and old. That's right, and it mm, seems that I... the government's deliberately causing division between groups. Yeah, that's right. Between generations. Interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with what you're saying about this kind of victim blaming that mm. um, that happens. And, of course, the other thing, which, you know, this is sort of my main area of interest, is 
insecure work today. Yes. Um, and, you know, this isn't just casual work. I mean, a lot of the debate in the media has been has or has has or has not casual work been increasing. Mm. Um, and yes, it's sort of remained steady over the last 20 years at 25%, but the big increase in casualisation happened in the 80s. And so since that time, I mean, after the boomers had sort of established themselves, um, it has been you know, work has become much more flexible and insecure. The other part of it that the casualisation stats don't capture is the increase in short-term contracts, which, if you know, you don't know if you haven't a job beyond the end of the month or the end of the year. This is a big factor in young people delaying things like starting a family or yeah. being able to commit to a mortgage. Yes, and also um, people are finding, young people who go to uni and go to all that trouble with these huge debts, they're finding that there's no ticket to full-time employment and often they haven't chosen a course that's um, needed for their training. And so there's some real difficulties for young people trying to get work. It's, um, it just seems so unfair to me that that's the case. Mm. And yet mm, they're, they're blamed. It is a subdued economy. But um, and as as we've heard, you know, the the degrees don't necessarily match the skills needed by employers. But one minute you're told, well, do, go and do a coding degree. That's what you need. And then there are too many coders. And you know what I mean. Um, mm, suddenly, absolutely. So when you're going to have an age, uh, you could be a nurse in an aged care facility, and then there's too many of them. Yes. <laughs> yes, and I think also, you know this rhetoric about, oh, you need transferable skills because you're going to have 17 jobs across your career and you need to have these generalist skills. Well, that flexibility, that being able to swap and change requires a huge amount of investment, you mm. know, not just um, economic investment, but kind of um, personal investment to switch your identity. And mm. um, yeah, it's really sort of you know, young people are assumed to be these kind of entrepreneurs that can just go out and do all this easily. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, I agree, it's just unfair. Yeah, it's transferable skills. And what's the other thing they always want me to develop when I, when I walk into the job agency? Job agency soft skills, which I, soft you know, skills. I still have no idea really Emotional um, intelligence. What, they, what they are. Well, you have and that. And how they, well, tell, <laughs> tell that to my job agent. <laughs> Oh, it's shocking, isn't it? Um, what what can we do about it? Did you have any solutions that you can come up with in your talk? Oh, look, I'll be really interested to see what all the economists say because yeah. I'm the only sort of non-economist on the panel. I mean, increasing new start would be an obvious one, and I know yeah. you've talked about on that on your program before. Yeah. Um, changing negative gearing, looking at tax more broadly and corporate tax rates. I mean, we're a long way off kind of accepting this in Australia, but even something like having a maximum wage or, you know, even more radically universal basic income. So it will be really interesting to see, I think, at the panel on the 23rd, what comes up. It'll be good if, if that's being raised. I will just mention some of the other pe uh, speakers on the panel. David DeGarris, mm. Latrobe Alumnus and Director of Economics, Economics for Markets at NAB. <laughs> It should, mm -hmm. be, it should be popular. <laughs> then there's also um, Natalie O'Brien, Chief of Staff at social change organisation GetUp. Now, she's worked on a range of economic fairness campaigns in, since 2013, including Medicare, hospital cuts, university fee deregulation, cuts to new start, tax justice, fair trade, 
democratic integrity and a strong social safety net. So she might be someone that's sort of good in in your terms. And then uh, Melissa Brown's an author and serial serial entrepreneur and CEO of the award-winning accounting and advisory firm ANTA and CEO of the Money Bar. So that'll be quite an interesting panel. Uh, it's going to be from 6.30 to 8pm, the State Library Victoria, the Village Roadshow Theatrette, Entry 3, 179 at Trobe Street, Melbourne. And that's going to be on the 23rd of August. It's going to be a fabulous panel. Smashed Arvo, Is There a War on Youth? So I think that's going to be wonderful. And I hope our listeners will go along and, um, you know, I guess there'll be question times and things, will there? There will be question time, yes. Yeah, so please bring some um, some nice, juicy questions with you. Yeah, we'll bring some of our um, young members for you to uh, excellent pose some questions. Thank you that so much be for being on Unemployed Workers Fight Back today, Dr. Sarah James. Thanks, Valerie. Thank okay. you.